Well, good afternoon, everybody, and uh, thank you very much for coming, giving up your Saturday afternoons for this session. I'm just going to make sure I don't trip over a wire here. Sorry about that. Um, now, Elizabeth has already given a little bit of an introduction. I'll say a little bit more at this point. The brief which she gave me, as you can tell, is an introduction to Christian spirituality. Now, clearly, this is uh, one of the most enormous subjects imaginable. And so I had to rack my brains about how to approach it. Everybody doing an introduction on spirituality would probably do it completely differently. And the way I've chosen to do it is to do a little bit of general stuff, a bit about definitions, so we can get under the skin a bit of that. And I put some definitions in one of the two handouts. I'll explain these in a minute. And then, because this is how it works best for me, we're going to go into two or three individuals, um, looking at some very well, clearly some very well-known people like Benedict and Ignatius. And I'm sure there will be people here who already know a lot about Benedict and or Ignatius. So I hope this will be an opportunity for you to hear a bit more. You feel free to chip in. And for those of you who don't know anything about them, because this is an introduction, I hope it'll whet your appetite. And then there's a slightly more left field character later on called Etty Hillison. And some of you may know about her already, and some of you may not. She's a very different type of figure. We'll spend a bit of time on her as well before we go into um, spending some time looking at Anglican spirituality. This is very much my take on the introduction. Uh, so if you don't hear what you expect, I hope it's not because it's wrong, but because it's just one particular understanding of it. What I'm very hesitant to do with things like this is to get into too much really heady stuff. Um, and there is a, a huge field these days of academic Anglican, uh, sorry, the study of academic spirituality. And that can become quite heady, really rather dry, unless you're careful with it. And the thing to do, I think, with spirituality is, yes, of course, mine the great riches of it, enjoy the, um, the intellectual elements of it, the academic elements of it, but one of the crucial things about any study of spirituality is that it is essentially what they call self-implicating, which means that we are changed by it. This is one of those areas where we know we're kind of doing the biz if we're being changed and transformed by it as we go along. If it remains at a level of intellectual study where you've got a really good lay of the land but you're really quite untouched by it then it's probably worth asking the question am I really getting into this fully and properly because there is something about the study of spirituality which changes a person can't help it that's my hope anyway so I'm going to be talking a little bit about transformation and change as well as the afternoon goes on so, um, what I'll do periodically is say, does anybody have a question, or do you want to chat to somebody about that, or something? But if you have a burning question, in the meantime, do please put your hand up, and I'll only um, say, no, not now, if I'm going to be dealing with something a little bit later on, so please do feel free to chip in, and we'll see where we go. We'll break for coffee, probably... Not to be around halfway through, but uh, probably after Ignatius would be a good time for, to break for coffee. So, let's have a think about um, spirituality in terms of definitions 
and the tradition. It is, in one way, it's a really new area of study, spirituality. It's, um, it's taken, taken on a sort of degree of speed in the last few generations. There's a head of steam behind studying spirituality. It's a very rich area. It's very diverse. It's very enriching if we study it. And it's exploded out of the field of established religions. Spirituality is studied broadly in different traditions by people of faith and no faith. And in that sense, it's incredibly new. But of course, as a subject, it's as old as the hills. Um, and spirituality has been around for millennia, clearly. But we've found ourselves in this situation where it has returned and returned with great force in the last 50 years or so as an area of study. So let's have a start off with thinking about how we've got to this point. And then we'll look at some of the definitions. I'm, I'm never sure which way around to do this. Definitions first, a bit of the story later or vice versa. So we're going to start with a bit of the story today. We seem to be at a time in our history of um, theology and spirituality where there seems to be something of a healing going on, a kind of a rapprochement of a centuries-old split between theology and spirituality. And that split began really in sort of the early medieval period. And for hundreds and hundreds of years before then, there was no such split. So if we look back, let's start off, because we're thinking about Christian spirituality today, let's start off back in the New Testament. And the Pauline version of the spiritual life is that it is simply a life imbued with God's spirit. So if you look at Paul in the first letter to the Corinthians, for example, somebody who is spiritual is simply somebody whose life is completely saturated in the spirit of God. It's not that there is a natural opposition between ordinary life and spiritual life. Actually, the two are coterminous. The two coexist. The greatest form of spirituality is where the person is filled with God's spirit. That one's natural life is lived in the light of and completely filled with God's spirit. They're not separate from each other. And it can be... In the church, we can sometimes end up splitting, flip-flopping into flesh and spirit, if you like. So there's the natural life, which isn't very spiritual, and there's the spiritual life. Actually, according to the scriptures, according to the New Testament, the two are together. You can't get a cigarette paper between them, and that probably ages me saying that, sorry, but you can't get a cigarette paper between them. They are together. And that was very much in the Christian church, the idea of spirituality. Spirituality and life live together. And of course, the, the word spirituality, it comes from the Latin word spiritualitas, which in, is, is itself derived from the Greek word for pneuma, pneuma, which is about spirit and breath. So these, this is the ancient tradition of being invested, um, filled with the spirit of God, and that that fuses our life. This, if you like, Pauline idea of the spiritual, of spirituality, remained the norm, remained the vision in Western Christian tradition for centuries. And actually, it's still the case in the Orthodox tradition, it's much more about, um, uh, if you like, theology and spirituality sitting side by side. But in the Western tradition, what we have for many hundreds of years is 
theology emerges out of spirituality, out of lived experience, and spirituality is shaped by our theology. There's a kind of a dynamic that goes on. There's no division between uh, mind and heart. There's no division between uh, lived reality and intellectual theology. The two are in a kind of dynamic relationship with each other. And then something happened in the Western Church, and what happened essentially was scholasticism. So in the medieval era, with the rise of universities, there was a kind of a splitting apart of theology and spirituality. So what you started to get was intellectual theological disciplines and all the different disciplines of um, ethics, dogmatics, um, homiletics, you name it, all the different theological disciplines. And that was separated out from um, the, if you like, the, I won't say affective, but the um, disciplines which would do with the, the personal response to God, piety, um, one's, one's prayer, one's devotional life. And the two started to become separated out. And that split, this is a bit of a caricature, that split remained broadly in place for hundreds of years. And in some way, the Reformation reinforced it. In some way, the Enlightenment reinforced it because there was so much focus on the intellectual gifts and different responses to the spiritual life. So there started to be different disciplines. Mystical theology, which was the more effective spiritual side of it, and I say spiritual, I mean sort of the internal, and theology, which was the more intellectual and world-facing side. So... That is a caricature. But what's then happened slowly, slowly over the past couple of hundred years, coming to a head in the 20th century, is that the word spirituality started to come back in again. First of all, in France, in around 17th, 18th century, and then more so by the 19th century, and then it travelled into English. And by the time we get to the beginning of the 20th century, and then increasingly as the 20th century went by, we started to get a, a bubbling up of spirituality as, first of all, the word was used more. Secondly, after things like Vatican II, it became much more centre stage that how we live our lives, how we respond to God and how we do our theology started to re-knit. And so what we have now is a much stronger connection again between theology that's the intellectual hard work of understanding God, of God speak, and spirituality, the lived reality of our theology. So much so that now we have people like Rowan Williams, who if you're lucky enough you'll get to see talking on Jesus at the end of March, who says things like, spirituality now must touch every area of human experience, the public and the social, the painful, the negative, even the pathological byways of the mind, the moral and relational world. He says that in one of the great spirituality books, which is The Wound of Knowledge, which I'm hoping is on the, um, on the book list on the back of one of these. There could be all sorts of reasons for this. One is, or could be, that when the, the postmodern world, if you like, came into being, and I'm using this fairly, fairly loosely, please don't ask me to do a great, a great long definition of postmodernism, but one of the key issues about postmodernism when it came in 
was that there was a breakdown of the trust in some of the meta-narratives, some of the big stories people no longer trusted in the same way. And as the big stories were no longer trusted, ironically perhaps, or paradoxically, there became much more space for individual responses. Individual responses to God, individual responses to religion, individual responses to the spiritual life. And so there came a bit more space for spirituality as the lived experience of our relationship with whatever, we'll come on to that, um, started to have a bit, there seemed to be a bit more space for that to happen. So spirituality, as in our own response, emerged. And then there also was a, a sort of a breakdown of how we understood um, the world around us. But not just a breakdown, a kind of a breakthrough as environmental issues have taken on more importance in the world, as how we see the planet has taken on more importance. There was that great defining moment when the picture was taken of Earth from space. A whole new set of issues started to, to gain prominence. And so people of any religion or no religion started to think differently about how we are caretakers of our environment. So how people thought of the world, how people understood the meta-narratives, the, the way in which religion, organised religion, went through really, really big changes in the 1960s. All of this was like a shifting of tectonic plates. And suddenly some of the old certainties about um, the, if you like, the external imposition of doctrine, how people have begun to see theology, that it is truth being imposed from outside, it all started to shift as culturally, this is very much a Western picture, culturally people started to re-understand theology, to re-understand the world, to re-understand what they considered to be of prime importance. And more and more people have begun to say, and I'm sure you'd be familiar with this, and probably say it yourself sometimes, I'm not religious, but I am spiritual. How often do we hear this? Now, it's moot how that, really, how that works, because there is a sense in which as soon as we talk about ourselves as spiritual, we're getting into that domain anyway. We can't get away from it, because somehow we're already starting to frame our beliefs and then we are in the world of spirituality so spirituality has become much more center stage again it's being studied very widely it is studied by and claimed by people of every faith and none and now it's thought about much more in terms of any way of understanding and responding to and shaping our world in the light of what is of most ultimate importance to us is a form of spirituality. I think of it almost as, by virtue of being human, we have a kind of meaning-making muscle. There's something in us which desires to create meaning in our world, to understand our world. Um, not necessarily as a kind of a way of, of dominating our world, though it can slip into that, but because there is something within us which is um, 
keen to draw meaning from what's around us. What, what does life mean? What is of ultimate value? How do we respond to what is of ultimate value? How do we shape our lives in the face of that? And how are we transformed by that? These are all the domain of spirituality. One of the great writers on spirituality is called Philip Sheldrake. And he pictures it as it, as in spirituality, as a kind of axle on a vehicle. So if you think, for the mechanically minded of us, uh, well, I'm not mechanically minded, but it's quite a useful illustration, that on a vehicle, you get an axle at the back of a car, and the axle drives the wheel, and it also reaches backwards and forwards and sideways. It directs the movement of the car, and it reaches into all different dimensions. That is how we could imagine spirituality. It's almost like the axle of our life. It reaches into how we make meaning. It reaches into how we allow ourselves to be transformed. It reaches into how we see the world in the light of all this and how we craft and shape our lives. So spirituality, frankly, is where the rubber hits the road. It's, it's the core of our lives. And you could almost say that we have a spirituality whether we know it or not. Christian spirituality, of course, for those who live in the light of their faith in Christ, means that it's a spirituality which is orientated around the person of Christ, the life, death and resurrection of Christ. And for those who live a life of Christian spirituality, their life is about how they find meaning in that, how they discern God's actions in the world and in their lives, how they order our, our their our ethics, um, politics, response to the world, how we order ourselves on a daily basis in the light of the life, death, resurrection of Christ, and how we allow ourselves to be transformed by it. So, you could say there are spiritualities, and people will have their own different traditions which they adhere to, for those of us who inhabit Christian spirituality, it's about creating meaning and living in the light of the life, death and resurrection of Christ. We're going to get into some more definitions. It is, it's one of those strange things which when we think about spirituality, we may think about prayer or whatever association we have with spirituality, we may have it automatically. And then as we mind the subject, we discover there is a sense in which spirituality is really quite difficult to define. I think of it as this sort of meaning-making muscle, which is finding its way around the world and through transformation and so on. Other people will think of it as prayer. Other people will think of it primarily in terms of ethics. There are all sorts of different ways of thinking about spirituality. And it may be worth, if it's fairly new for you, to start thinking through what, what is your definition? What's your personal definition of spirituality in general and Christian spirituality in particular? And you can find your way to what it means for you. Which brings me on to some of the definitions in the book. Now, there are two handouts because 
The one which has got the definitions in is one you can take away with you because all the bits in this are in the public domain, the images, etc., etc. And it's also got some resources on the back. The other one is excerpts. I'm afraid that one has to come back in because it's all copyright, um, which might sound odd because it's got chunks of the rule of St. Benedict in it, which is quite old by now. But this is a particular translation. You can get some less accessible, um, probably less fluent translations online. Uh, this is from a particular version of the Rule of St. Benedict. I think it, it's a penguin, the penguin version of the Rule of St. Benedict. Um, uh, is it? No, it's Fry's Rule of St. Benedict. And these are copyright, so I'm afraid I ask, I'm going to ask for these back. But everything else you can hang on to, so the other book. Now, on page three, there are some definitions. And I'm going to read these, and they all take a slightly different perspective. So the first one is by Philip Sheldrake. Philip Sheldrake is one of the writers on spirituality, so well worth dabbling around in any Philip Sheldrake you can get your hands on. So, this is one of his definitions. Christian spirituality is to do with the ways that individuals and groups seek to enter into a conscious relationship with God, to worship, to formulate their deepest values and to create appropriate lifestyles in dialogue with their beliefs about God, the human person and creation. So that's kind of about shaping, ordering, crafting. How do we enter into this? Then Evelyn Underhill. I'm going to move fairly swiftly through these because of time, but do take them away and have a good look at them. Evelyn Underhill, who of course was one of the great Anglican figures um, uh, of mystical theology and spirituality in the first half of the 20th century. She was um, a spiritual director. Amongst others, she worked with T.S. Eliot. Um, they wrote many, many letters to each other. Evelyn Underhill says, the spiritual life is not a special career involving abstraction from the world of things. It is a part of every man's life, and until he has realised it, he is not a complete human being. He has not entered into possession of all his powers. So for her, it was about it's a natural part of life, and we are transformed by it. And then the wonderful Kenneth Leach, who was an Anglican uh, priest who died uh, fairly recently. Christian spirituality is rooted in the experience of the incarnation and passion of Christ. It is a Christening, a putting on of Christ, so that our consciousness is changed. It is rooted in the specific material, physical crudity of incarnation, resurrection and Eucharist. It is only the flesh of the risen Christ, sacramentally present in the Eucharist, which provides the link between spirituality and the transformation of the world. So again, another perspective, very, very rooted in the physical, very rooted in the material, and also rooted in liturgical practice. And then finally, Rowan Williams. If spirituality can be given any coherent meaning, 
Perhaps it is to be understood in terms of this task. Each believer making his or her own that engagement with the questioning at the heart of the faith which is so evident in the classical documents of Christian belief. So for Rowan Williams there is a theological and uh, a theological face to it and a discernment discernment in that we engage with the tradition and we feel and discern our way through it. Take these away, have a have a think, and you may find that one or another definition works more for you about the shaping of life, about transformation, about the depth of life. Just see what works for you, and that may be a trigger for you in your own spiritual practice. But what it seems to me when I look at these definitions and lots of others is that lots of themes keep popping up in any definition of Christian spirituality. And they're themes to do with how we discern, so discern is a key word, how we discern God's spirit, how we discern the life of God and the life of Christ. So discernment, how we order and shape our lives in the light of this how we shape our lives in response to Christ, personally, ethically, practically, how we shape our lives. And then how we allow ourselves to be transformed. So I would always arrive at with any sort of definition of spirituality is about discernment, shaping and transformation. They're kind of almost like different phases. So how we pick it up, which is almost like the beginning of how we pick things up, what we do in the light of that, and then, doesn't just stop there, back to the self-implicating thing, how we are transformed by it. So these are the different areas.